Everybody doing okay? Good. Appreciate you guys. I said that at a couple other services, and it was just like dead quiet. And I'm like, man, you'd like be at the dentist office or something. I mean, there's worse places you could be sitting than in church, right? So uh, anyways, we've been working through the book of Matthew for quite some time. By the way, thank you guys for being here. Um, it's Every once in a while, it just hits me that like there's actually people in this room, and I really appreciate that because there was a couple of months when there were no people in this room, and that was awful. And um, it's just really nice to, to see you. And uh, there's nothing worse than like saying something just just remarkably funny and, and um, no one in the room to laugh at it. So, uh, but I trust you guys are all laughing at home during that span. So um, <laughs> anyways, okay, so we've been working through the book of Matthew. Sorry, I'm so sorry. We've been working through the gospel, Matthew. We've been working through this um, all year. We've been in this book for a long time. And we're at a very, very interesting stage, not only of the book of Matthew, but, but really of the entire Bible. And the stage that we're at right now is Jesus is 33 years old, and um, Jesus is eternal, of course, but, but as Jesus is a man, he was 33 years old, and we're in the last week of his life on earth. So last week, we're in the beginning of chapter 21, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, right? And, and he's been kind of setting this up for about three years or so. All this anticipation has grown. He is riding on a donkey. It's the only time in the Gospels where it actually mentions Jesus riding an animal. He rides into Jerusalem. They lay palm branches on the ground and articles of their clothing. That's where we get Palm Sunday. They lay all this down on the road, and Jesus humbly comes into the capital as, as, as a king, right? As the rightful king uh, that he is. And everything's going great. He's at the height of his popularity. Everyone is loving him and yelling out, save us, Savior, and Son of David, which means you're the Messiah, and, and, and they're calling out to him, and he goes into the city center, and he goes to the temple, and he finds out that it is not worship and prayer that is going on in the temple. It is business, that the house of worship has become a business, and he's upset about that, right? Right? overturns the tables, runs everyone out of the temple courtyard. Once he runs all the entrepreneurs out, the blind and the lame and the people who want to hear the gospel and, and children come in and they're celebrating and people are getting healed and everything that should be happening within the church starts happening within the church. But of course, this makes the religious leaders mad. Uh, the Pharisees, if you haven't been here, those are the religious leaders in this area. And they get mad and they start to have a confrontation with Jesus and Jesus kind of has enough goes out of town for the night. He comes back into town the next morning. And this is where we ended last week. He walks up to a fig tree. Really, really fascinating story. He's hungry, so he's gonna get some figs, right, off a fig tree. Lifts up the leaf, sees there's no fruit on the tree. If you don't know anything about fruit trees, they're supposed to make fruit. And there's no fruit on the fruit tree. And so Jesus curses the tree. The tree dies instantly right in front of the disciples. And of course, all of that was a lesson. And the lesson had nothing to do about agriculture or trees. The lesson was about us, that we were made to produce fruit. Certain things were supposed to happen in our lives. We're to honor God with our lives. We're to honor and bless other people in our lives, right? In fact, this entire book can be summed up in those two phrases, love God, love people, produce things that honor God, produce things that honor other people. So we asked ourselves last week, are we doing that? Are we producing the fruit that God wants us to produce. We also talked about last week about faith, because if we're just being honest, 2020 has been a test of faith, hasn't it? Especially because it's an election year and all the stuff with the coronavirus and 
all of the division and, and just awful things that have happened in our nation and, and quite frankly, all around the world, that it, is, it has tested some of our faith. It's tested my faith a little bit. So we had to ask ourselves last week, regardless of how the world shakes down, do we have faith that Christ is on the throne and that he's sovereign and that he's good, okay? So this week, we're gonna kind of build on that a little bit. I'm a car guy, so I'm gonna use a car analogy this week, and we're gonna talk about our engine, basically. And of course, that's a metaphor for, for our soul. We're gonna ask ourselves today, are we taking care of our soul? As we wrap up chapter 21, we'll read a little bit more. Jesus is gonna tell us two parables in this that are very, very fascinating. And Jesus is gonna go on the offense. So for three years or so, as we've been studying, we haven't been studying Matthew that long, but Matthew encompasses about three and a half years of Jesus's life. He has been on the defense, which means people came to him, pushing on him, right? Trying to, trying to get a rise out of him, basically, trying to trip him up. And Jesus has just defended himself. Now Jesus is going to go on the attack and he's gonna go after the religious leaders and put them in their place. It's gonna be fascinating how this shapes up, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in either door. Everything should be on the screens. Um, if you're old school like me, I still like physical copies of the Bible. Um, we're in the first book of the New Testament. We're in the 21st chapter. If you have your phone, this is the easiest way. Uh, the Experience Community app, very, very handy. Has all the scripture, all the notes uh, for you study people that like it all in front of you. Very, very handy, okay? All right, so let me pray. We'll jump into chapter 21, and, um, and we'll see what happens, okay? All right? Seriously, glad you guys are here. Uh, good to see you. Everyone watching at home, it's, I don't see you, but I'm, I'm glad you're seeing me. So anyways, all right, let's, let's pray, all right? <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I thank you, Father, Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we have the, the, the freedom to do what we're doing right now, God. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come into this place to hear your word, to be able to talk about it freely, God, to be able to worship you freely. Thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you don't just bless our church. We pray that you bless every single church in our city, God. We pray that you bless the churches that we work with up in New England, churches that we work with in other countries, God. And uh, Father, we pray that everything that we talk about today, Lord, that it, that it not only honors you, but Lord, that it sharpens us and makes us better people, God, draws us closer to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen, okay? So Jesus is going back into Jerusalem. This is day two of him being in town, okay? He's gonna go right back to the temple, and this is where we pick up, verse 23. So when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question, and if you answer it for me, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's his question. Did John's baptism come from heaven, or was it from human origin? They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, then he will say to us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd because everyone considers John to be a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So Jesus, why did he go back to the temple, right? He was pretty mad the day before. He goes back to the temple because the temple is where people on a daily basis went to hear the word of God taught, right? And so that's, that, that was the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. So Jesus goes to the temple and he is going to proceed to teach 
the scripture to people, right? He knows it better than everyone else. He was the real author of the scripture. So he is gonna go and teach the scripture. Not only does Jesus wanna teach the scripture, Jesus is looking to put the religious leaders in their place. So as he was teaching, the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, all the religious leaders, right? They interrupt him and they challenge his authority. What are they challenging? His authority to teach the word, his authority to be praised because the day before people were actually calling him the savior, right? God on earth. His authority to be a, a, a recipient of praise and also his authority to drive everyone out of the temple. Who gave you the authority to do these things? So Jesus could have just said, God, right? I'm the son of God. I'm God in the flesh. I can do whatever I want, right? I created all you guys, right? He could have said that, but he didn't. Instead, he says, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you will answer my question, I will answer your question. Why did he go that route? Why did he choose to do that? He chose to do that because he understood these guys didn't want to hear the answer regardless of what he said. They had no desire to hear the truth. So this is a lesson for people who like to fight on Facebook. Jesus knew it was not worth his time to get into a pointless debate with people who don't want to learn anything new. So he didn't do it. He was not going to waste his time. The G, the, the, earlier in the Bible, Jesus calls us casting our pearls before swine. It's a waste. Because pointless debates only agitate those people and it just builds the fervor and the fire more. And he said, that's, that's not a good use of my time here, right? So he asks them a question that is going to dupe them. He asks them a trick question. And it's about John the Baptist. If you don't know who that is, that was a guy that came before Jesus. He was, he was arrested and beheaded. Um, but he came before Jesus and he told everyone that Jesus was going to come. The Messiah was coming. And so Jesus asks the religious leaders, he says, hey, I'll answer your question if you answer this question. Was John of God or was John just making it up, right? What was John? And so the smartest, most intelligent men in the entire country hear this question and they're like, give us one second. And they huddle together and they're like, oh crap, what do we do? If we say yes, he was of God, John said that Jesus was the Messiah, so we're going to have to admit that Jesus is the Savior. If we say, no, John wasn't of God, everyone is going to hate us because the people love John, and they think John was a spiritual man. So what did they come up, what did they come up with? They came back, the smartest people in the country, and they said, we don't know. We don't know the answer. So the religious leaders were looking out for their own interests, because they were so prideful, right? Because they were just looking out for what suited them best. They didn't know how to answer. They had no firm foundation to stand on. They had no spine, right? They were just kind of shifting with the wind. And here's the thing with people like that and the philosophy like that. Those who want to find the truth will find it. But those who simply are looking out for themselves and what's best for them will always be unstable and they will always be uncertain. That's why the word fluid is so popular in our culture right now, right? I'm politically fluid, I'm gender fluid, I'm ideologically fluid, I'm religiously fluid. What that is, is I don't wanna take a firm stance on anything. And when we don't take a firm stance on anything, we have no foundation to stand on, right? We have no, we have no stability, we have no certainty. So Jesus was obviously the savior. There were so many signs, but because they had no desire to see the truth, they couldn't see the truth 
right in front of their faces, right in front of them, okay? All right, let's move on. So Jesus says, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. The son answered, I don't want to. You guys are like, yeah, sounds like my kid. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other son and said the same thing. And he said, I will, sir, he answered, but he didn't go. Which of the two did the father's will? The religious leader said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, but you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds and believe him. Now, this is huge. So Jesus could have just stopped after they couldn't answer his question about John, but he goes on the offensive, right? He is now taking the shots at these religious leaders. Why? Why did Jesus want to expose these guys for their hypocrisy? For three reasons. One, they claimed to know the word, but they didn't follow the word. Sounds like a lot of people now, right? They claimed to follow the word, but they didn't do what it said. The second thing, is not only did they not follow the word, they used their religion as a means to be abusive to other people. Like those happy-go-lucky fellows that you see protesting funerals, God hates everyone except for me, right? Those signs, using their religion to push other people down and condemn people and hate people, that's what they were kind of doing. The third thing that these religious leaders were doing is they used their privilege as a leader to advance, not the kingdom of God, but to advance themselves to advance their agenda, right? That's what they were doing. And Jesus wanted to expose these three things. Jesus also told them that they had been given clear instruction from God. Jesus tells us a parable. If you have not been here uh, while I'm teaching Matthew, a parable is just a simple short story that even a child can understand, but it teaches a big principle, right? It teaches a lesson. And Jesus, we're gonna read two of them today. Jesus tells this parable about these two sons, right? They received clear instruction from their father, but they did not do, or one did not do what their father told them to do. And what happens is this. Jesus is going to, to, to kind of make the argument or prove the point that if we say we're going to follow God, but we choose not to, God is going to remove that blessing from those that say it, but don't, don't do it, and give it to those who might have made mistakes in the past, but they eventually do what God wants them to do. Here's the thing. God's objectives will happen. And so if we don't want to, to be a part of God's plan, God's plan is going to come to fruition. He will just take that blessing and that job from us and he will give it to the one that willingly accepts it. So we need to make sure we say, yes, God wants us to do this. Yes, God, I'll do it. I don't want you to take your hand off me and put it on someone else. I want you to have your hand on me, right? So we need to accept those things. And here's the thing, God doesn't play favorites doesn't matter how much money you have or what color your skin is or where you were born or what mistakes you've made in the past. It's a level playing field. God is no respecter of persons, right? He gives us all opportunities. He calls all people who are willing to listen. Notice he, he calls both sons and tells them to do the exact same thing. There's no favoritism. But here's what's interesting. 
Both sons do the exact opposite of what they say they're going to do. So the, this is so important. So the emphasis isn't on what we say. The emphasis is on what we do. You guys with me? There's a lot of people who say, I follow Jesus. And, and they really don't. And then there's some people who don't have to say it all the time because they live it out. They demonstrate it in their life. So it is those who do the will of the Father, right? And that's how they answered the question. So Jesus says this. Whenever Jesus says, truly, I tell you, we should like really pay attention to that, right? That's when highlighters come out and people get, you know, circle scripture. That, that's important. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes will enter into the kingdom of God before you guys do. That is fascinating. There were no more despised people in culture than tax collectors and prostitutes. Prostitutes, kind of for obvious reasons, right? For what they did as a living, they were looked down upon. Tax collectors like Matthew that wrote this book, tax collectors, everyone hated them because they were Jewish people that worked for the Roman government. They took money from their own people and gave it to the enemy. People hated them. But here's what Jesus is saying. Even sinners who eventually obey what God tells them to do will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But those who just say that they're good, but they never do what God wants, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means that those that recognize that they need God, those that recognize they are depraved, that's how salvation takes place. When we realize that we are lost without him, that we realize we are living in a way that doesn't honor God and we change something, right? So God will save anyone regardless of previous mistakes, but we have to be humble and we have to recognize that we need salvation. And so Jesus still shows grace to these religious leaders and he throws them a softball. Look, he answers his previous question. Was John of God or not? And he, he blatantly says, John came in the way of righteousness, right? He's tossing them an easy one. He did come in the way of righteousness, giving them an opportunity to be humble and to accept that they've been wrong. But what happened was, is that pride and arrogance, pride and arrogance won over humility. This is the cancer of America right now. We are an arrogant, prideful people. We don't want to listen. We just want to scream louder than the person next to us because we're right and everyone else is wrong, right? But here's the thing. If we would objectively, that's a word that no one uses anymore. If we would objectively step back and see the fruit of culture, see the fruit of society, right? If we would compare what the end result is of living the way that the world tells you to live, and if we could look at the end result of living by the principles of this book, if we would objectively step back and look at the end game, I think a lot of us would change our hearts. We would change our minds. We would humble ourselves and accept God's way above the world's way because we're looking at the result of those two roads. But we have to be objective, right? We have to approach it with humility, realizing that we don't know it all. It all goes back to fruit. Listen, show me in culture where the fruit of the empty promises that society makes come to pass. Show me where. What does that mean, Corey? What that means is this. The world constantly tells you, if you just have more followers on Instagram, you'll be all right. You'll be content. The world tells you that if you just have sex more, if you get high more, if you party more, if you look better, if you vote for this person, if you make this much money, if you climb up the corporate ladder, if you do all those things, 
you will be good, you will love life. What's fascinating is we are seeing depression skyrocket, we're seeing suicide skyrocket, we're seeing divorce skyrocket, we're seeing domestic abuse skyrocket, we're seeing violence skyrocket. The point is this, they're selling you this, but the end product doesn't match the promise. You guys see it, right? I hope you see it. They keep telling you that these things liberate you and we become more and more enslaved. We become enslaved to porn. We become enslaved to drugs. We become enslaved to alcohol and different other things. We become enslaved to those things. The more they tell you that you're liberated, the more chains you have on you. So show me in culture where all the promises that they make come out to a good point. Show me. Prove it to me. Prove it to me by facts and numbers, right? On the flip side of that, I can give you stories of literally thousands of people whose lives have been changed and restored and marriages put back together, people healed, people delivered, all kinds of stuff by living out the principles of this book. The bottom line is facts and fruit, fruit. Show me the fruit, right? Because Jesus said a tree will be known by its fruit. It'll be known by its fruit. Okay. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He leased it to tenant farmers, and he went away. When the time came to harvest fruit, he sent his servants to the farmers to collect his fruit. The farmers took his servants, they beat one, killed one, and stoned a third. Again, He sent more servants, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They'll respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. Let's take his inheritance. So they seized him. They threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? Jesus asks the religious leaders. Here's their response. He will completely destroy those terrible men, they told him, and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him the fruit of the harvest. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That is what the Lord has done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they knew that he was speaking about them. Although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared the crowds because the people regarded Jesus as a prophet. So if you were a Jewish person and you happen to be like eavesdropping on this conversation that Jesus is having with these religious leaders, any Jewish person in Jesus's time would have known exactly what this parable was talking about. This parable was talking about the Old Testament and the prophecies of the Old Testament. What it was talking about was this. God has a vineyard, right? We'll call it earth. God has a vineyard. He puts people in this vineyard, right? For a certain amount of time. And because people naturally get off track, God sends messengers. In the Old Testament, those were prophets. God would send messengers to the people to try to get them to produce the fruit that he wanted. 
Eventually, over time, they would kill the prophets, they would kill the messengers of God, the judges, the leaders, they would kill them off, right? The great kings of the Old, Old Testament, they treated them poorly. And so eventually, God sends his only son to get the attention of his people. So again, any Jewish person, even a Jewish kid, would have known exactly what this parable meant. But the religious leaders were so arrogant, right? And they weren't listening, so they missed it. They didn't get it. So an important part of this parable is this. The land that these people were on in the parable was leased to them. They didn't own it. What that reminds us in this room is everything we have does not belong to us. It ultimately belongs to God. So we have to change our verbiage. I hear people say all the time, well, I earned it. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Well, I went to work and did these things. Well, who made your legs, right? Who gave you the hands to do it? Who gave you the mind to make those decisions? See, it ultimately all goes back to God. Every good thing that we have is because God has been gracious enough to give it to us. We are just stewards of God's possessions. Our money, our house, our kids, our marriage, everything ultimately has to be given back to him, okay? And if we don't treat it like that, we're going to mistreat it and misuse it. We also need to stop saying things like, God owes me this, right? Or maybe we don't say it, but we just kind of like live like that. God, what the heck? When am I going to get what's mine? Nah, God owes us nothing, guys. Absolutely zero. If you have breath in your lungs right now and blood in your veins, you've been given more than you've ever earned from God, okay? God has blessed us. He's taken care of us. And we need to change the way we think about those things, okay? So all of us are leased a vineyard. The vineyard is our life on this earth. And though this lesson was pointed towards the first century religious leaders, right? It was aimed directly at these religious leaders that Jesus was talking about. All of us have been given time. We've been given a brain and we've been given a body to make choices with and hopefully choices that honor God. And so what's going to happen is eventually our time on this earth is going to run out. Either we're going to die or Jesus is going to come back and we're all going to have to give an account for what we've done with our vineyard what we've done with our time, right? And we're not gonna be able to blame everyone else. We're not gonna be able to make excuses. We're gonna have to give an account for what we've done with this time. And so what happens is, just like in our lives today, because our natural response is to do selfish things, right? God sends leaders, God sends people, God sends friends, God sends messengers to come and speak into our life. And God has given us his word that does that. But the tenants of the vineyard not only refused to produce what they should have produced, they beat and killed the ones that brought the truth to them. Instead of being humbled by the truth, they got angry by the truth, right? You ever confronted someone with the truth? And instead of them being like, man, thank you for bringing that to my attention, they hate you for it, right? And they walk away. That's what happened with the prophets. And that's what happened with the Son of God. Because they presented the truth, they were killed for it. They were persecuted for it. And so after Jesus tells the story, man, this is epic. This is like, so Jesus, it's great. So Jesus tells the story about this farmer that had this vineyard whose, whose messengers were beaten, killed, and then whose son was beaten, killed. And then he looks at the religious leaders whom he's talking about. And he says, what do you think the farmer's going to do to those men that killed his son? And they answered, they answered this. He will completely destroy those terrible men. 
In that moment, Jesus is trying to expose to them their own faults. He's trying to teach them. It's almost like he's like, do you see it? And what Jesus is doing is he is showing these men amazing grace. We have been shown amazing grace. But again, there will come a time where life will come to an end and we will be held accountable in anything that we have not repented for, right? If we haven't turned our lives over to God, we're going to be held accountable for that. But if we have been faithful to God, we're also going to be rewarded for that. But again, we have a limited amount of time. And so who sets the standard for what is good? This is important. This is an important slide. If we're trying to live righteously, if we're trying to live to a certain standard, who sets that standard? Well, Jesus clarifies that. He quotes the Old Testament and he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is saying, I'm the cornerstone. I'm the foundation. I'm the one that sets the precedent. I'm the one that sets the standard by which everything must be built upon, right? And Jesus says, if you reject me, you're essentially rejecting the truth. You're rejecting what is right and wrong. You're rejecting what is righteous and you are doing what is unrighteous if you reject me. What does that mean to us today? This is very, very important, okay? The standard of what is good and evil is set by the creator, not by the creation. Not by culture. Culture changes all the time, right? God's principles are immovable. They have always been set and they will always be set. He is the one that sets the rules, not us. So I, I had this brilliant idea. If, if anyone here ever wins the, the Powerball and you just tithe to the church and we have more money than we know what to do with, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna set up, and if you're not into this, then we'll do like a temporary setup. I'm gonna set up a tattoo artist over here and when I do like these one-liners, we'll just get them somewhere so we don't forget them. <laughs> and if you don't like that, if you're just not into tattoos, we'll do like those like temporary like henna ones or something. They, they can stay there long enough for you to remember it. You can wash it off in a couple of weeks. Here's one of those, though. <laughs> Terrible idea, isn't it? Good. Goodness isn't determined by what we feel, but by what he says. Listen, we live in a culture that is all based on emotions and feelings. Well, I feel like this, therefore it must be true. Do you know the Bible addresses that? In the book of Jeremiah, it says, do not follow your heart. It is the most deceitful thing about you. That doesn't mean your literal flesh heart. That means your emotions. Do not follow your emotions. They will lie to you. If you follow your emotions, you're going to cheat on your wife. If you follow your emotions, you're going to lie on your income tax. If you follow your emotions, you're going to throw a brick through a window. You're going to punch someone in the face. You're going to scream at someone. You're going to lose a bunch of relationships. You're going to post things that end up causing you to lose a job. You're going to do stupid things, and it's going to bury you eventually. That's why Jesus says, don't, don't, that's why the Bible says, don't follow your heart. We are to follow the Holy Spirit that should be in our heart. We're to follow the truth. So goodness, what is right and wrong, right, is not determined by feelings. It is determined by facts and what the Holy Bible says. This determines what is right and wrong, not how I feel, okay? And in a culture that tells you to follow your feelings all the time, that is 100% anti-Christ to do that. It's completely antithetical to the Bible, all right? So every time someone says that, follow your heart, eh, bad idea. So what is good and how can we be good? Well, God sets the standard of what is good. 
And how can we be good? Listen, we're always going to be imperfect. Humans will always be imperfect. The church as a whole will always be imperfect because it's made up of humans. But until Jesus Christ returns, right? Because of the cross, because Jesus died for us on the cross and shed his blood, because of the Holy Spirit that God gives us, because of the grace of God, though we're not perfect, we can live in a way that both honors God and blesses people around us. We can do that. And righteousness is not us being perfect. Righteousness is allowing us to trust the perfect Holy Spirit that lives in us to work through this imperfect shell, right? I'm imperfect. The Holy Spirit inside me is perfect and I can do good things and live a righteous life because God is in me. Not that I'm good, but a good God dwells inside of me. That's how we can be righteous. That's how we can be good. Another thing that is taking place here is Jesus is talking to the leaders of Israel, the whole country. Man, and, and, and see if you see something similar happening in our culture now. At this point, Jesus is taking the blessing off a nation and he is going to put it on the church. He's essentially removing his hand from Israel as a country and he is putting it on the church. He's saying, you, you had this, you had this knowledge, but because you're not doing anything with it, because you're not producing fruit, I'm gonna give this knowledge to people who will produce fruit. So we need to be careful with this. Some Christians have what's called replacement theology, which is not correct. They think that the Jews had their shot, they blew it, now it's all us and God doesn't care about the Jews anymore. It's not true. Romans 9, 10, and 11 make it very clear that God still has a promise for the Jewish people. I don't have all the time to go into that today and that promise will last until he comes back, right? And so it also mentions this in Revelation, okay? But replacement theology, no bueno, okay? So returning to the stone imagery, Jesus talks about the stone. He says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. What does that mean? That means, listen, if we live this life and we refuse to acknowledge Jesus and we refuse to acknowledge the word of God, life is not going to be what God wants it to be for you. What that means is this, our relationships are gonna suffer. Society is going to suffer, right? We're going to struggle with things that we shouldn't have to struggle with because God's not in our life. So Jesus is saying, the, the cornerstone, me, if you don't acknowledge me, it's gonna break you in this life. Life is not going to be what it should be. If you do that all the way to the point of death, you never accept Christ, you never humble yourself to the cornerstone, not only will the stone break you, because you will be judged for eternity, it will shatter you. So if we don't follow Christ, we'll be broken in this life and we'll be shattered for eternity, okay? And that's what Jesus is warning these guys about. Here comes another one of those tattooable moments. So as the religious leaders are hearing Jesus, right? The smartest guys in the country, it finally hits them. Wait a second, he's talking about me. He's talking about us. And when they realize that Jesus was referring to them, look at this, instead of it humbling them, they said, we gotta kill this guy. I'm not gonna be told what to do. You're not gonna tell me that I'm wrong. So instead of being humbled by that, they had to take him out. So we often love to identify what is wrong as long as what is wrong isn't us. We love to look at the evil in everyone else. It's Donald Trump, it's Joe Biden, it's my principal, it's my boss, it's my wife, it's my kids, it's you. 
It's everyone else except for me, right? I've been saying this for this entire year. The point of this book is not to expose the evil in everyone else. The point of this book is to expose the evil within ourselves. It's to expose the evil within me. Jesus put it this way. You're so busy pulling splinters out of everyone else's eyes, you have a plank of wood in your own. And it's not that we shouldn't address other people's sin, but we gotta get that sin out of our own self first before we start picking on everyone else's sin, right? Before we start pointing out the evil in everyone else, I need to make sure that I've addressed the evil that's inside of me. So let's talk about that. The first thing is this, guys, and and again, we have to be honest. Do we have a desire to do what is right? Do we have a desire to know the truth? Do we have a desire to draw closer to God? And if we say yes to that, if you say yes to that, if in your head or if even verbally right now, if you said, yes, I have a desire to know the truth and do what's right, there's a couple of things you're going to do. You have to intentionally read the word of God, pray to God, and listen to God. Corey, my marriage is falling apart. What do I do? Read the Bible, pray to God, listen to God. Corey, I'm struggling with anxiety and fear. I got a plan. Read the Bible, pray, and listen to God. Corey, I'm struggling with all these other things. My kids are running wild. Uh, My best friend and I had this big argument. What do I do? Read the Bible, pray, and listen to God. If you do these three things on a consistent basis, you will find every single answer you're looking for. Every single answer you're looking for. Read the word, pray and talk to God, and shut up long enough to listen to him. That means you gotta turn off Spotify, means you gotta get off Netflix, means you may have to get alone, means you may have to be quiet with yourself and listen. I've never heard God speak. It's because you constantly have junk playing all around you. Your antenna is so clogged up with other things that there is no reception. We've got to remove those distractions. We've got to remove those things. Now, this desire should never fade away. Well, Corey, I've read the Bible. Read it again. You missed something, I promise. Right? (laughs) Debbie that sits on the front row at the nine o'clock, she has read the Bible 44 times. She reads it every single year all the way through. She's been doing that for 44 years. Every time she does that at the end of the year, she's like, Pastor, you wouldn't believe what I found. She has read it 44 times. You know why? Because the book is alive. It's, ever, it's always relevant. It always hits exactly where it needs to hit and where it needs to hit. It's a beautiful book. This desire to want to be closer to God, to evolve more, to look like our Father, that desire should never go away. Well, Corey, I've been a, a Christian for 70 years. Awesome, you're still not perfect, right? So keep aspiring to be more and more like Jesus Christ. That should never go away. And then we have to put those beliefs into action. Is it, is it imperative to speak the truth? Absolutely, you have to speak the truth. I get perturbed when Christians say, well, I don't have to speak it, I live it. Well, the Bible says if you don't teach the gospel, no one's going to be saved. So you need to speak it, right? People need to speak the truth. But we also need to make sure we are living the truth. If you are speaking the right things, but living the wrong things, no one is going to buy into your faith. So our lifestyle has to support the claims we make with our mouth, right? Isaiah said the problem with people is their lips are close, but their hearts are far away from God. 
So we need to make sure both are close to God, right? Our actions and our verbiage, our language. We also need to know that regardless of what you have done in the past, that does not negate the relationship you can have with Jesus Christ. I don't care if you've been a prostitute or a tax collector, right? Up until this point, if you were doing God-awful things, up until the point you walked into this building, that's okay. Today, you can ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. Those sins are gone. It says in the Old Testament, they're as far as the east is from the west. They're thrown into the deep sea, the Old Testament says. And so Jesus forgives, and he forgets, if you will, and he moves on, and he expects you to do the same thing. That means that you're not meant to carry that shame and guilt from all the things you've already asked God to forgive you for. You gotta move on, gotta move on. God has stuff for you to do. You've gotta drop that baggage and move on, right? Doesn't matter what you did in the, in, in the former self, we're talking about today. We're talking about the future. It's time to move on. And what it boils down to is fruit. What are we doing to not only honor God, what are we doing to honor people around us? What is the fruit? Now, we can only produce fruit if our engine, if you will, our soul, is taken care of. Like I said before, we always have the tendency to look at everyone else's engine, don't we, right? Ours is knocking, there's smoke shooting out the tailpipes, and we're like, look at their car. It's terrible, right? And ours is barely moving, if it's moving at all. We have a tendency to do that because it's so much easier, right, to get that attention on someone else and talk about how much they've messed it up. But we have to talk about our engines. So we have to ask ourselves, are we lifting the hood, if you will, and taking a look at what's going on in our hearts? Now, when we do that, the tool to use to see if our hearts are in the right place or not is not culture. It's not some motivational speaker you see on TV. It's this book. This book is what sets the standard for what the heart should be doing how our lives should be lived. So I want to make sure that you use this tool. Use this tool to make sure that your heart's where it's supposed to be. And are we staying away from harmful things? What are you putting in your engine? Well, Corey, it's just music. Man, then let your 10-year-old daughter hear that new Cardi B song. It's just music. Hi. Hi. It's just a beat. Okay. It's just something that I watch. You know what Jesus said? Man, isn't it terrible when we use Jesus to, to kind of humble us a little bit? Jesus said, what you take in through your eyes contaminates your entire soul. Jesus said that. Do you know what Plato said about 50 years before Jesus was born? A long time ago. Before they had iTunes, you know what Plato said? That music shapes the direction of society. Plato said that. 2,000 years ago, Plato said that, right? Before they had electric guitars. Plato said that the way the music is directs society. You don't think music has any influence on you? Come on, come on. What are you putting in your body? Now listen, I'm not telling you to be like just some weirdo, right? Man, I listen to the Ramones and my wife loves David Bowie, but I mean like, I'm not telling you to be weird, but there has to be some lines, there has to be some parameters. You have to be able to say at a point, that's not okay for me to ingest. That's not good for my soul. It's not good for my kids to be around. Man, some of the stuff you guys let your kids watch, I'm flabbergasted by it sometimes, right? You need to protect your home. You need to protect what's going into you. Are we staying away from harmful things in our lives? 
So if our engines are gonna run properly, there has to be fuel in the tank. What's the fuel? You guys have already heard it. The word and prayer. You have to be reading the word of God. You have to be praying. We also need to make sure that church community is a priority. Well, it's raining today. I'm not gonna go to church. Well, it's sunny out. We're not gonna go to church. They're making me wear masks. I'm not gonna go to church. They're not wearing masks. I'm not going to church. Well, today's college football day. I'll go tomorrow. Oh, but today is NFL. I'm not going today. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too far. It's too close. Listen, if it's a priority, you'll be here. We always, we always find time to watch that whole season of Stranger Things, right? In two days. We always find a way to get to work, don't we? We always find a way to get to the gym. We always find a way to make it to that concert, right? I have learned in 2020 that we need church. You gotta be a church. Listen, that's, that's even a biblical thing. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do it more and more until Jesus comes back. That's what it says in Hebrews. Church should be a priority in our lives. And I've seen it time and time again when church is not a priority. I have seen families absolutely fall apart, right? Listen, I know travel baseball is important. It's not more important than teaching your kids the ways of the Lord. It's not more important than having your kids at church. I know soccer is important. I know football is important, right? It's not going to save your kid's soul. So I know you need to be doing things at the home, but they need to also understand that this is a priority. This is a priority. So like oil in an engine, are we filled up with the Holy Spirit? So we have to have fuel in the tank. We have to have oil in the engine. The oil is the Holy Spirit, right? We cannot run properly without God's Spirit inside of us. So I got on Webster's the other day, and I, I, everyone knows what an engine is, but I've never read the definition for an engine before, and I was blown away. This is the definition for an engine. Engines are designed to turn energy into action. That's what we were designed to do. We were designed to be filled with the energy, the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Not to just like be saved and sit here and be like, man, this is great. We were designed to do something with it. We're designed to live a life that honors God. We're designed to live a life that honors other people. Jesus said the entire sum of this book can be summed up in two simple phrases, love God and love people. But loving people means doing things for people. It means doing good works to glorify your Father in heaven. That's a Jesus quote. It means good works are praying and speaking to your heavenly Father. It's not just about being saved. It's about doing something with that salvation. That we are engines. We are designed to take the energy of the Holy Spirit, right? The power of the Holy Spirit and go out and put it into action to do something with it. So I simply ask you, are we doing that? Are we doing it? It's so simple, right? But if we're going to do it, our engines have to be taken care of, okay? You need the Holy Spirit. You need to be praying. You need to be reading the Word of God. You don't have to read it all by next week. Just read a chapter every couple of days, Slowly digest it and the principles in it. We need this, okay? Would you guys bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen, if you are in this room and, and maybe you're new to the faith or maybe you're not even a Christian yet, but you're curious, you're just kind of like, man, what is this? What's, what's going on? Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike is up here. If you have any questions for Pastor Mike, he would, he would love to talk with you. He's not afraid of hard questions. He's not afraid of challenging things. He's not afraid of you, you know, saying that you're confused or this doesn't make sense. It doesn't bother him. He'd love to talk with you, okay? 
There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, please don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Anything you may need prayer for, let, let these men and women pray for you. And then the last thing is, is you have communion in your hands. Guys, that reminds us of a couple of things. One, it reminds us that we need to repent. We need to address the evil in us, okay? Before we can take communion, we have to ask Jesus to forgive us for our sins, okay? But that communion, that bread and that wine, that represents the fact that Jesus died on a cross for us, that he loves you. <laughs> Again, even if you were a prostitute or a tax collector, right? Even if you were a liar or a cheater or, or whatever, as bad as you may have been, God loves you. He sent his only son to die on the cross for us, even while we were at our worst. And then if we can ask God to forgive us, we can be reminded of how much God loves us through communion. We can also be reminded that God gives us his Holy Spirit, that you can be the man or woman that God wants you to be. Well, Corey, I've done a lot of bad stuff. So did a lot of the men and women in the Bible. But God's grace and their humility they were what God wanted them to be. We can do that too. We can be the men and women. We can be the moms and dads, the husbands and wives, the employers, the employees, the citizens. We can be what God wants us to be by the power of his Holy Spirit, okay? Take care of your engines, guys. Be careful. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm not trying to sound all charismatic on you right now, but man, all hell is out for you right now. It is out for you. It's out for your mind, it's out for your heart. It's out for your family. All hell is after us. We've got to make sure that we are close to Jesus. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you. Lord, bless all the men and women in this room. Lord, bless my friends, God, my family in this room. Lord, anyone watching at home, I pray that you just keep your hand on us, God, that you lead us and guide us, Lord, and fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Father, protect us, God, and just be with everyone as we leave this place, Lord, and let us live lives that, that not only bless and honor you, God, but bless and honor those around us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.